Well, good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Uh, my name is Josh Lawbaugh. I am a deacon here at Sunbury City Church, um, and typically I'm down here uh, leading in worship, and so it's weird being out there, honestly. I don't do it enough, and, and so I do want to give just a great thank you to Dave and, and the worship team, and even the worship members who aren't worshiping today. Uh, they do a great work, week in and week out, faithfully here, uh, to lead our church in worship together. Um, and they take that seriously. And, and just um, just thank you to the worship team. And just, uh, it's always good to step back and see others doing the work, and you get to really see all the work that's going in. But uh, this morning we're gonna we're gonna jump in. Uh, to, to our passage, and our passage today is found in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. Um, if you're looking for Galatians, if you have your Bible, you can, you can go there. Uh, Galatians is in the New Testament. If you start in the Gospels, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and then Galatians, followed by Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So if you're in that range, uh, looking for Galatians, or we're looking for chapter 5. Uh, and starting with, with verse 16 is where our passage will be there today. Um, and so we're continuing our series, uh, and our series in uh, how to be whole when you feel shattered. Uh, we've been looking at that for the last couple of weeks. Um, this year, I don't know about you, but if a year was designed to shatter us, this year was designed to, to break us up, right, to, to really knock us down. And, and I feel like this year has just been, been five years long as we've been living it. But as we look at this series, we're, we're looking today specifically at how to live the gospel Right? That's in our mission statement, how to live the gospel with new character. So, so as we experience the saving power of the gospel, as we experience the forgiveness of our sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that should and does change us. And it should change our character. And this morning, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at what it is like to have new character because of the gospel. But first, let me start off with a question for you all. How many of you, like your favorite vacation spot is the beach? I got a couple. Right, uh, I, I did not raise my hand because the beach is not my favorite place. Um, I know that's hard to believe with this beach-designed body that I have, um, but it is not my favorite place to go on vacation. Uh, but but uh, the story that I'm going to start with this morning takes place about 12 years ago when I did go to the beach. Um, my family rented a house down in the Outer Banks in North Carolina, and, and we went down there to, to vacation. Um, and, and as with most law ball vacations, it rained 90% of the time we were there. Um, and not just normal rain, like tropical storm-type rain off the coast. Um, and, and, and so we spent almost the entire vacation inside the house. Um, but there was one day, right, there was one day that we got to go down to the beach and we were excited and, and excited to go down because um, growing up in Benton, Pennsylvania, I had not been to the Atlantic Ocean, so I was excited to get out there and see what it was about. And so this is my first real trip to the beach and, we, and so we go down there and sure enough there are signs all over the beach, there's signs all over town saying, don't get in the water, there's a riptide warning. So I'm like, you got to be kidding me. We came all the way down here. All I want to do is go in the ocean so I can say I was in the ocean. And it's like, no, don't, don't do it. Um, and if you don't know what a riptide is, when, when, when the waves start crashing really close into the shore, the water can't escape because the waves just keep pushing the water. And so what it does is it actually creates these 
underwater channels called riptides, and the water goes back out away from the shore at a high rate of speed. That's a riptide. And, and, and it's really powerful. And so when they're really bad, especially in windy conditions, they, they put out warnings that don't get in the ocean because, you know, it could be dangerous for you. Well, we're down in the ocean and we're in about, you know, knee deep. We're wading in. I'm, I'm in the ocean. That should be good enough. But no, this dumb country boy from Pennsylvania says, how bad is the riptide really? I mean, I think these city folks need to grow up. And I, I start to wade out a little more. Now, at this point, my wife is hysterical. She's not happy with me because I'm out waist deep, right? And this, is, this isn't good. And my sister, who's on the vacation, starts telling my dad to yell at me to get back into shore because they're all afraid I'm going to get drug out to sea by this riptide. And I'm like, it's really not a big deal. So I go out and I'm a little deeper. I'm probably, you know, almost chest deep. And sure enough, the ocean tried to drag me to Europe. Um, no kidding, it just starts pulling me out, and it's taking me out to sea. And, and all of my size and all of my strength can do nothing to, to battle this thing that's really, and its, it's desire is to just drag me out there. Now, what you need to know about riptides is they're not very wide. Um, and, and most people, when they're actually getting in trouble with riptides, it's because they use all of their strength and all of their might to swim against the riptide, and they can't beat it until they exhaust themselves and actually drown because their muscles give out. What you really need to do is swim parallel to the shore, get out of that current, and then you can you swim yourself back in. Um, I didn't know that. I got lucky. Uh, spoiler alert, I survived, obviously, because I'm standing here. I did not die from the riptide. But what it did is it really was pulling me back out. And, and the reason I bring up that story is, is I think for some of us, uh, probably most of us, as we walk our Christian lives, right, our lives are changed by the gospel. We look at it and we're like, Jesus has saved our lives. He has, he has said, you were once dead and now you're alive. And we're like, that's awesome. This gospel is great. And then we spend the rest of the time trying to swim. And, and our old selves are out there trying to pull us out to sea. Our old selves are trying to grab a hold of us and say, no, no, remember how you used to be? Let's go back this way. And we strive with all we can to fight against it, but we're swimming against a, a current that we can't beat. So this morning, as we, as we look at our passage, I mean, what we're going to see in, in our passage this morning is we're going to see that, that a life changed by the gospel is marked by a heart that's transformed by the Spirit. Right? A life that's changed by the gospel is marked by a heart transformed by the Spirit. Uh, this morning, we're going to jump into our passage. Uh, I don't have it up here, so just give me one second as I get there. Uh, but this is the Word of God, and so we do want to honor it. So would you stand as we read Galatians 5, verses 16 to 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. 
I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, praise be to God. So our passage today comes from the book of Galatians. And and I think we need to make sure that we understand what's happening in the book of Galatians uh, as we get into our passage today. Um, And so the the book of Galatians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul uh, to Christians in the Galatia province of the Roman Empire. Um, It's in modern-day Turkey where a lot of uh, acts takes place in modern-day Turkey. And that's where where we are uh, as we're as we're looking at this passage. But what we have, um, what Paul's writing to them, uh, if you remember back in our series in Acts, Paul went to several churches as he went on his mission. He went to Antioch and he went to to Derbe and he went to Iconium and, and Lystra. And those are all in what is considered the province of Galatia. And so Paul went to each of those places on his mission, starting churches and and. Um, evangelizing. And and so he's writing back to them. And the reason Paul's writing to them, the main reason Paul's writing to them is, is what he's hearing coming back from them is that these Christians, many of them are Jewish born, right? So they were Jewish, they were, they were under the law, they were trying to follow the law, and now they've been converted. They've seen the truth of the gospel. They know who Jesus Christ is. But They want to keep some of that law on there. They want to keep some of the traditions. They want to keep some of that. As much so as they're going, as they're they're adding it into the gospel. In order to be a Christian, in order to be saved, yes, you must know Jesus Christ. You must trust him for the forgiveness of your sins and this list. And where it's really getting them into trouble is they're going to the Gentile-born Christians who don't have any of this history, and they're saying, listen, if you want to be a Christian, you've got to do these things too. And Paul's point of writing this letter is basically to say, guys, salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You can't add to it. He even goes as far to say, as if, and if we're going to trust in the law, if the law was sufficient, then Christ died for nothing. If the law was sufficient, then Jesus didn't have to die. He writes that to them in this letter. And that takes us to our passage today as we get in to chapter 5. And what we're going to see in chapter 5 is we're going to see there are two opposing forces that we see. We see see the, the spirit and we see the flesh. And we see that they are battling one another. Uh, that's what we see happening as we, we start this. And uh, I think as we start off, I want to be sure that we're identifying all the characters correctly. Uh, the the first thing I want to talk about is the spirit. Who is the spirit? So that we'll make sure we're playing on the same playground. The spirit here is the Holy Spirit. It is not the spirit that, that we have, you know, uh, apart from our, our earthly bodies. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Notice I said third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity 
and the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, and so, but one side we have the Holy Spirit. Now, what does the Holy Spirit do? Just so we're, we're sure, the Holy Spirit, um, if, if we look at John 16, you know, Jesus, as he's getting ready to, to go to the cross, as he's getting ready to, to, to pay the penalty for our sins, says to the disciples that he's going to leave. And the disciples are, they're kind of bummed out. Right? Because Jesus says, listen, i got to die. And they're like, we don't want you to die. And he says, it's better for me to go because when I go, the helper will come. Now, the helper here is the Holy Spirit. So, so I don't know if you've thought about this. If you've thought about, um, sometimes I think about the disciples and a little jealously I think about the disciples. I'm like, man, they got to walk with Jesus. They got to sit under his teaching every day. They got to be with him. And Jesus says, no, no. You guys in your seats are far better off than the disciples were because the Holy Spirit, it's better for me to leave so the Holy Spirit can come. And what the Holy Spirit does is it dwells within us. It is, it is the indwelling uh, God within us who's leading us, who's directing us, who's showing us paths of righteousness. He's also gifting us, right? Uh, uh, the many gifts of the Spirit that we talk about. Uh, I do not have the gift of hospitality, right? That's something I really have to work at. Some of you, naturally hospitable, right? That is the Holy Spirit manifesting itself in your life. It is giving you that gift to be hospitable. Um, and so the Holy Spirit does. It gives us gifts. Um, it reveals truth as you're reading your word. As you hear preaching, the Holy Spirit is revealing truth. And it is the sign that you are of Christ, it is the indwelling of the Spirit in your heart, in your life. Um, that is really the sign that you have been saved. Um, so that's what we have for the Spirit. Now, the other side is the flesh. Now, what is the flesh? The flesh is not, you know, our, our flesh and bones body. That is not what Paul's talking about. Really, what Paul's talking about here with the flesh is he's talking about our natural sinful selves, uh, the theologian James Boyce wrote it really well. He defined it this way. He says, The flesh is all that man is and is capable of as a sinful human being apart from the unmerited intervention of God's Spirit in his life. In other words, it's who we are apart from Jesus. That's the flesh. It's, if Jesus didn't come into our lives, that person we would be, that person who has all of those evil thoughts, evil deeds, evil desires, that person apart from Christ, that is the flesh. And what Paul's saying is we've got two opposing forces. We've got the flesh and we've got the spirit, and they're opposed to each other. Look at verse uh, 17 with me. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another. They can't coexist with one another. And the reason they're opposed to one another, that the flesh wants to keep you from doing what it is you want to do. The Holy Spirit is driving us to, to want to do the things that are going to please God, to want to follow God, and the flesh wants to lead us away from that. And they're opposed to one another. So there's a battle going on. Now let me be clear, this battle is going on if you're a Christian. So if you're looking at this, uh, from the moment of your conversion, there's a battle between the Holy Spirit's leading and where the flesh wants to lead you. And sometimes that battle is easy. Sometimes we have, we have times where, man, we're just following the Holy Spirit's awesome, and other times it's hard. And that battle's going to continue 
up until the moment of glorification, up until the moment that, that Jesus calls us home, that's when the battle ends. But as long as we're on this earth, there's going to be this pull between our natural self that is naturally sinful, that wants to do things their way, and the Holy Spirit, which is leading us down the paths of righteousness and leading us to Christ and leading us to Christ-likeness. And so what Paul is talking about here is this battle that's going on. You see, both, uh, both the flesh and the spirit are promising to, to give you the same thing, right? But only one of them really can. Let me give you an example. Uh, I work a lot, right? I, I work long hours. And Monday through Friday, I'm putting in a, a, a lot of time. And, and my Saturdays now seem to be pretty full with band activities and scout activities. My Saturdays get full, and then and I look at my Sundays, and Sundays I'm here. I, I feel like there's a lot, I'm, I'm on the go a lot. And I talk to some friends, and they're like, they're like, man, I'm just so excited that tomorrow's Sunday, and, and I get to sleep in. Like, I'm just really excited about that. And for a minute, right, for a minute, I get that ping of jealousy. Like, man, I kind of want to sleep in too. Like, that would be awesome. What I'm really seeking is I'm seeking rest, Right? And now there's two things that are promising me they can give me rest. One is the flesh, and the flesh is saying, yeah, man, you should sleep in. Get a couple extra hours. You deserve that. Sleep in. And the Spirit's saying, no, get your butt to church. Because if you don't go to church, you're not going to find rest. You can sleep in for a million Sundays, and you're not going to get the rest that comes from following Christ. The final, the ultimate rest that we're looking for can only be found through Jesus. And so we see those two things that are both promising to provide, but only one can. Only one is truthful, following the Spirit. And so we have this battle that we're doing. We have this battle. And, and so how do we fight this battle? What are we going to do as we fight this battle? And I think um, we, we do this wrong a lot of times. We, if we look at, uh, if we look at the, the, the Jews as in Jesus' time, we see the right, just a ton of the Pharisees keeping the law. Right? They're, just, they're keeping the law. Man, we gotta, we're going to make sure that we follow the law to the T because externally we look great. And what does Jesus say? No, you're like whitewashed tombs. You're, you're clean and pretty on the outside and inside you're full of death because that's what the law does. When we look at the law, when we look at law keeping, we're looking at trying to fix or cover up the outside when the inside is dying. That works its, way out, works its way out a little bit in our lives uh, in the form of legalism, where, where we're really just uh, trying to make sure that we're trying to make ourselves holy by our actions. Let me give you an example, and this is going to sound conceited, and that's really where legalism goes a little bit, so I'll warn you. Uh, in the, the calendar year of 2019, uh, I spent 50 out of 52 Sundays in this church leading worship from that spot. 50 out of 52. Um, most would say that's unhealthy, and we've had a long talk about that. But for me, I got myself to church from a legalistic standpoint. I look great. I am here. And just to be clear, those other two Sundays, one I was at another church, and the other I was at scout camp where we had a, a service. I don't know what we worshipped, but we, were, we got together on a Sunday morning and did something. So, but anyway, for most of, the, most of every Sunday, I was at church worshiping God. Now that... I could puff myself up with that, right? I can, I'm making myself holy because I got myself to church. And I had this conversation with someone this week. What that doesn't show is that some of those Sundays when I drag myself in here, I'm not feeling it. 
I'm not coming in here with a posture of, man, I'm just excited to worship God. I'm not coming in here on some Sundays just, man, sometimes I wish I had slept in. I'm like, man, I just, I'm tired, and I just don't know if I, I've got it this morning. See, see, what the law and what legalism doesn't show us is what's going on inside. But church, can I tell you something, that, that God is good, right? There's, there is grace for that Sunday when you show up here, and you're just like, I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm showing up because the Holy Spirit's telling me I need to get here, you know, so I'm, I'm showing up, but man, I just don't know, but almost every single time I walk in here feeling that way, God renews my heart with a greater love for him. Just by being with you, by singing songs with you, by being with brothers and sisters, by singing or sitting under the preaching of the word, God is good and he continues to be faithful there. But, but you can see how that can work itself out. What we're not looking at is we're not looking at the heart. And how we need to fight this battle is by walking in the spirit. Now, we're going to look a little bit more at what walking in the Spirit means. But if you look um, at verse 16, it says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So if our goal here is to not give in to the flesh, to not gratify what the flesh wants, then we need to walk in the Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit. Again, if we look at verse 18, If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. How can that be? If you're led by the Spirit, that means the Holy Spirit is within you. It's transforming your heart. And as we said, the law can't do anything to change your heart. The law can only change the outside. So if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Because the law can't produce what a changed heart can produce. And so we have to look at being able to walk by the Spirit, to follow the Spirit's leading. In the book of Jeremiah, Uh, Chapter 31, Jeremiah, who's a prophet of God, says, uh, these are the words of the Lord. He says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. So so they had the law, right? They had the law written down. And God says, no, when when Jesus comes, when I send the Messiah, I'm going to put the law in their hearts. That that right and wrong, that thing we should do or shouldn't do, it's going to be in their heart. And that is the Holy Spirit working and shaping our hearts and leading us down the paths which we should go. So so as we look, we have this battle. We have this battle going on. And these two things are going to manifest themselves out in, in different ways. Uh, the, the flesh is going to manifest itself out in one way and the spirit in another. So let's look at the works of the flesh. Now, I'm not going to go through that giant list again. Um, you saw it, right? We read through that list. I don't know about you. When I read through that list, it's like you're getting kicked in the gut. I Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's just me. But as I read through that list, it's sexual immorality. Boom idolatry, boom, jealousy, boom, fits of anger. As you read through, I think Paul's point here is to make a list that would encompass everyone who's reading it so that they would not walk away saying, no, I'm good, the flesh isn't leading me. No, but to say, listen, we're all susceptible to the flesh trying to lead us down the wrong path. And so you see those in verses 19 to 21. And I'm not going to walk through each of them, but I do think they fall into some categories, and I think it's helpful to look at the categories so that we can see um, 
some other ways maybe that, that the, the flesh is, is in our lives. Uh, the first grouping I'm going to call sexual sins. That covers the first three, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Church, can I be clear with you? When he says the words sexual immorality, that word also means fornication, and that word means sex outside of marriage. I just want to be clear where he's coming at with this. So, so God designed sex, and he designed it to be a great thing, but he designed it to be a powerful thing, and he meant for it to be within the confines of a covenant relationship. And so when he's talking about sexual immorality, he's talking about sex that's happening anywhere else than the covenant relationship between a man and a wife. And, and if you're sitting here like, oh, I've got that one, right? Check. I can check that list. I'm good. I'm not having sex outside of my marriage. I'm, I'm solid on that one. He then goes to the next one where he says uh, impurity. Well, impurity really is anything that's impure. That's any impure thoughts. That's any impure desires. That's impure lusting. That's pornography. That's a number of things. So if you feel like, okay, I'm good on the sexual immorality, he then hits us with another one and says, listen, what about impurity? Are all of your thoughts pure? Are all of your intentions pure when it comes to sexuality? The next grouping is is what I'm calling religious sins. Idolatry and sorcery are the two that I'm going to put in this group. Now, now I don't know that we have a whole lot of sorcery going on in this day and age, but I know there are some Wiccan people. There's some witches around in Sunbury. I didn't know that existed. We don't have those in in Benton, I don't think. But but here there are some some witches uh, and people who follow this occult practice. And and the whole idea of that is is really trying to find another way to produce the things that only God can produce, trying to find another way to to produce the miraculous things that only come from God. Um, And we know idolatry, right? Idolatry is trusting anything else other than God for our salvation, for our happiness, for our joy, for our comfort, right? And there's, there's nearly no end to the list of things that could be an idol, it could be, it could be something, uh, that, something good like work. It could be something, uh, something dangerous like drugs and alcohol. They can all fall into this category of idol, but it's something we turn to apart from Christ. And so it's improper worship. Third category, um, and I'm calling these the one another sins. These are the sins that, that we do to one another. That includes enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. If you have kids or you have a brother or sister, you have done all of these at one point, right? If you're in a group of people, you've seen these come. My two boys have hit about all of those once a week, right? There's uh, strife and jealousy and fits of anger and rivalries. And, and brothers do this. This is how they are. And, and so, so this isn't an excuse that you should excuse that behavior, but, but this is the flesh manifesting itself in our lives, in these one another sins. And the last two I'm going to add, I'm going to call them addictions. That's drunkenness and orgies. And really this is any way of giving yourself completely over to something else. Um, it's similar to idolatry. We're giving yourself over to something else uh, to, to achieve uh, comfort or happiness or joy. Uh, can, can we be clear here? An alcoholic beverage is not against anything that we see in the Bible. So, so wine is, is okay. I don't really like it, but you can drink wine. Um, but if you drink all of the wine, if you're giving yourself over to the drinking of the wine where it's, it's actually changing your life, then you're, you're going to that wine for comfort that should be found in Christ and, and becoming drunk over and over. Now we're looking at drunkenness, and this is the flesh. The flesh is saying, listen, you want comfort? Come to the, have, this, have this drink. You need, to, you need to forget about your day? Come, 
come have this drink. That's where the flesh is pointing us. Meanwhile, the Holy Spirit's saying, no, if you want comfort, you need to go to God. You need to go in prayer. You need to go to him because he's the only one that can bring comfort. And so, so we could throw any number of things into this addictions category, right? We could throw, we could throw drugs, obviously. We could throw uh, exercise into the addictions category. We could throw work into the addictions category, right? If you, you, get a, you, you work hard at your job and you get a lot of satisfaction in that, okay. But now the next week you have to work a little harder because the, you, you didn't get that satisfaction by doing the same amount of work. So you got to work a little harder and the next week a little harder. And now you're putting in hours upon hours and now you're, you're looking to your job to provide a satisfaction in your life that can only be found by turning to Christ. And that's where we get into workaholics, you know, who are, who are so committed to their job because they're seeking something that can only be found in Jesus. This is what the flesh is doing, right? And he says, uh, just, just so we're clear, and you're going through this list, this is not an inclusive list. We know it's not an inclusive list because he ends it with, and things like these. So, so uh, he never meant for that to be an inclusive list. He's just giving us examples because we need examples so that we understand what he's talking about. The other thing that, that we see here in the next verse, or the end of the verse, he says, those who give, um, let me read the verses just so I get it right. Um, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now time out. I think we've all admitted, hopefully, we've all admitted that, that something in that list is true for us. Hopefully. And Paul's saying... If you do such things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as we look at that? What, what I, I think Paul is getting at here is he's saying, uh, again, remember we have the flesh and we have the spirit that are opposed to one another. So, and they can't be there together. So, so what he's saying is if you're continually allowing the flesh to win, if the flesh is continually winning over your life, if the flesh is continuing to get its desires, that means the Holy Spirit's not there because the Holy Spirit can't be there if the flesh is winning. So, so what he's saying is if the, Holy, if the flesh is always winning, then the Holy Spirit's not there. If the Holy Spirit's not there, then no, we are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. He's warning them that this is the stakes when we fight this battle. The thing he says in the beginning of the list is that the works of the flesh are evident. They're clear. They're obvious. Um, if, uh, if you have a person who is struggling with an addiction like drunkenness, it's, it's not a really easy thing to hide. If you see somebody who is causing strife or fits of anger, it's pretty clear. It's obvious. It's evident that this is happening. These are not hidden things. So, so if you're looking for them, they're easy to find. But we see about those things is we see these actions. These are external actions, and they're ugly but I want to caution us because sometimes we want to look at the action and we're like, man, that Jim, he's a really good guy. He's just got an anger problem. And we excuse it, that, that the action itself is just a different part of Jim. When the answer is no, the anger that's manifesting itself in Jim is because he has an ugly heart. And if we look at ourselves, if we're being honest, our hearts are ugly and they're deceitful apart from the Holy Spirit. 
And so we don't want to excuse this and look at this, these actions as, oh, they're just really ugly. Yeah, they're really ugly because we're really ugly apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from the saving, changing power of Jesus Christ. Okay, let's move on to the better list, right? The, the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, this is, this is the, the part you all came for today. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, notice that word there is the word fruit of the Spirit. Is that singular or plural as we look at that? Yeah, that's singular word. That's fruit. It's not fruits of the Spirit. So it says the fruit of the Spirit is, not the fruits of the Spirit are. I think there's a very important reason that he does that. Obviously, it's works of the flesh, plural. Works with an S of the flesh that's plural, but fruit of the Spirit. And I think some of those reasons is, is the works of the flesh can be kind of uh, done on, a, on an individual basis, right? Just because you have fits of anger doesn't necessarily mean you have drunkenness. Just because you have enmity doesn't mean that you have sexual immorality, right? Those things aren't leading to one another. But look at that list of the fruit of the Spirit. They're all-encompassing, right? It would be silly for me to say, you know what, I have, I have a lot of love. I'm just, I'm just really struggling to be patient with my kids. No, the truth is I'm not being loving to my kids if I'm not showing them patience. These things are not separable. You can't pull them apart. And so it's fruit, a singular fruit of the Spirit that shows up in all of these ways. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This isn't a list that we can check off. This isn't a list to make sure, well, today I'm working on love. Tomorrow I'm going to work on joy. This isn't a list for us to achieve, but it's what happens when our hearts are transformed by the Spirit. It's what bubbles out of our lives when the Holy Spirit is in our hearts and is changing us and leading us. It leads to love and it leads to joy and it leads to that list that is the encompassing, holistic definition of what a Christian should look like. Look at verse 23. At the end of verse 23, he says, against such things there is no law. I think he should have wrote the word duh at the end of that, right? Against such things there is no law. Obviously, right? Who would write a law against love? Who would write a law against peace? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Why would we do that? And I don't think that's really, I don't think Paul meant to put an obvious thing in there. I think what Paul is saying is he's saying, that the law cannot produce such things. Against such things there is no law, meaning you, you wouldn't want to stop any of those from happening, nor could you create a law that could produce them. You can't create a law that makes you love one another. We can't create a law that, that leads to self-control. We can't create a law that, that, it, that creates joy. The no amount of law following can do that. That has to come from within. And, and, and I love to use the word fruit, right? Because uh, uh, fruit is something that, that, that grows. It's something that comes from a tree, right? You, you can't go to an apple tree and be like, apple tree, I really need a good crop this year. I need you to try harder and grow me a bunch of apples, right? That apple tree isn't going to be able to, by itself in any way, produce more fruit. It can't do that. But what causes it to produce fruit. It's a healthy tree. It's making sure it's getting the nutrients and sunlight and the soil's good. And if the tree is healthy, it's going to produce fruit. And it's the same way in our lives. We can't produce this fruit of the Spirit. 
We can't, man, I'm going to work really hard and today I'm going to be patient. I think we try that, right? I think we try to force patience. But you can't say, man, if I work really hard, I'm just going to be loving. No, loving has to be an outflow. Love has to be an outflow of our hearts. It's the same way with us. We can't produce the fruit, but the fruit is from the outpouring of a transformed heart. Okay, so we have what it looks like to follow the flesh. We have what it looks like to follow the spirit. What, it, what the, the, the ramifications or the results of following those two can look like. So, so, so how do we fight this? What's the power that we have that can help us fight this battle between the flesh and the spirit? If we look at our passage, I see four verbs that go with this, the word spirit as we look at them. Verse 16, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 25, it says, live by the spirit and keep in step with the spirit. All of these things. So, so that first word walk we look at can really, is, is really more translated as, as, as like our everyday lives, this idea of walking. It could be grow to the gro- go to the grocery store by the Spirit. It could be go to work by the Spirit. It could be make breakfast for your kids by the Spirit. It could be any number. It could be wait in that stupid line at the school to pick up your kids by the Spirit. All of those things that happen, it's, it's your life being lived by the Spirit, by following the direction of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do we do that? How do we follow the direction of the Holy Spirit? How do we know what the Holy Spirit wants? This is where we need to be in our word. We need to be in our Bibles. We need to have time in the word so we're looking and studying what God wants for us. And then we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Guys, we need to be quiet. Some of us don't hear from the Holy Spirit because we have zero moments of silence in our day. How can you hear from the Holy Spirit if your entire day is filled with noise of the outside world? We need to have time of prayer. We need to have time of seeking the direction of the Holy Spirit. We need to have time in the Word where the Holy Spirit can speak to us. This is how we can follow the Holy Spirit. This is how we can be led by the Holy Spirit. I love what he says in verse 25. He says, keep in step with the Spirit. Now you guys know I'm a a music guy, and I was in marching band in college and in high school, and Brandon is in his first year of marching band, um, and so it's been fun watching him learn to march because it's not a natural thing to do. But as you're marching, you need to keep in step both with the music that's going on and the people around you. And so if you've watched a marching band show, you see all of these kids walking around, playing their instruments, and, and then they're just making these kind of intricate shapes that are happening on the field as they, as they move around the field, making lines and shapes and different designs that are happening. And, and as you're taught about how to, to, to march to these things, you learn where your spot is. Okay, when we play this part of the song, I need to be on the 35-yard line of the field. I need to be six steps in front of the hash. That's where I need to be. That's my spot. Now, Brandon can be marching that show and he can hit his spot. And if the person at the front of that line is five yards off, Brandon's going to look like he's completely out of place. Because he hasn't kept in step with the group as he's looking. They need to be one unit that comes together. He's right. But at the same time, he's wrong because he's not in step 
with everyone else. I love this idea of keeping in step. That means we know where the Spirit's going and we're walking alongside. We're walking behind. We're following the direction of the Spirit. This is how we get there. Let me give you some good news in verse 24. In verse 24, it says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Here's the good news for us. If we belong to Christ Jesus, that the flesh doesn't get to win. If we belong to Christ Jesus, we've crucified the flesh. Now, for some of us, I think that means that the flesh is, it's, we're, 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 we're trying to put it to death, we're trying to kill it, but at the same time, it's, it's bubbling back up and it's fighting us. And that's, again, that's going to happen up until the day Jesus calls us from this earth. But when he does so, the great news is that the flesh will be dead at that point. So, so church, we know that the victory is won. So we can go into each battle knowing what the outcome is going to be. We may lose this singular battle with the flesh, but we know what the ultimate outcome is going to be. Because when Jesus Christ on that cross said, it is finished, he meant for each one of us that it is finished, the desires of the flesh, sinful desires. He put it all to death on the cross. Let me give you one more example here. Um, I like to watch sports. I like to watch football and baseball, lots of sports. And my Yankees have kept their year-long, their, their every-year tradition of breaking my, hearts, uh, my heart this week. Well, well done, guys. But, but sometimes I like to watch sports, but I don't always get to watch them when they're happening. Like I said, my life is a little crazy at times. And, and so I like to DVR a game. Like, if, okay, like today I'm going to DVR the Steelers game because I'm going to miss a big chunk of it this afternoon. So I'm going to DVR that game. Now, if I know I'm going to get right to it, what I'll do is I'll shut down everything. I'll shut off social media. I'll shut my phone off. I'm not talking to people because I want to experience that game as if it's the real thing happening. I don't want people to ruin the outcome of the game. But often that's not the case. Often the outcome has been ruined. Someone has told me, or it's three days later, and I obviously know what happened. Now, when I watch a game in that situation, I watch it in a completely different manner. Because if I'm watching the game, and it's, oh, this is a third down. I don't know if they're going to get it. I don't know if they're going to be able to get that first down. I have that angst. But if I watch the game knowing what the outcome is, and I know they've won, all of a sudden I'm watching that with, yeah, they might not get it, but, but I already know that they've won the game. So I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know how it's going to be good, but I know they're going to win because I'm watching. I watch the game in a completely different way because I know what the outcome is. And brothers and sisters, this is our lives. We know what the outcome is. We know that for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, the flesh has been crucified. We know that one day when we are uh, with him in heaven, that, that the desires of the flesh will be gone. And so we can fight harder. We can persevere a little longer. We can go that extra step because we know what the victory is. And brothers and sisters, when we fail, when we fall, there's grace because we know, again, what the final victory is. We don't have to despair when we have a stumble. We don't have to give in because, oh, I failed once. I might as well keep failing. No, we know what the outcome is. We know the end game. I'll wrap up as Paul gives us a final warning in verse 26. Um, this seems a little out of place. He, he's given us this whole thing. 
He's saying, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, this whole idea of the Spirit. And then he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That seems like a weird way to end that that section. But I think Paul knows us. Uh, He knows that that as human beings, even if we are walking in the Spirit, we're all of a sudden going to put that, oh, you know what, I'm walking in Spirit a little better than that person is. I'm walking in spirit, in the spirit, just a little better here. We want to have this scorecard, and Paul says as a warning, no, don't do that. Know that the victory is not from you. Know that the victory is from Christ. Fix your eyes on the cross and know that Christ won the victory. Know that every victory you have is a gift from him. It is not something for you to to be conceited about or to provoke envy with one another. What a great final message for us to know that even as we look at the Spirit, we can also look at legalism. We can also try to turn that into something that's a desire of the flesh. Brothers and sisters, we're in a constant battle. But know that the war has been won. Know that we can fight just a little bit longer because of what Jesus did. Know that recognize as you're looking at your life, as you're looking at the way the flesh is coming out in your life, Also notice the way the Spirit is working itself out in your life. Know where the Spirit wants you to go. Know where the flesh wants to take you. And fight through this with the strength of the Holy Spirit to follow that path. Follow the path to righteousness. Follow the path to Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a what an unbelievable passage that you've chosen for us this morning to look at. What a great message for us to know that these great things, these ideas of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, these are not things that we can produce, but God, we need you to produce them in us. Holy Spirit, we need you to transform our hearts. We need you to continue to work in our lives so that these things are the overflow of a transformed heart. God, we need to know that that we're in a battle, that, that the war over sin, we know what the outcome is, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't fight and put sin to death. God, help us to recognize it. Help us to be in community with one another so that we can see sin in our lives that may be invisible to us. Lord, help us to continue to seek you in our prayer time, in our Bible study time. Let us seek your direction. And let us keep in step with you as we walk this life. Father, I pray for us as we leave, as we, as we close today, Lord, would you continue to shape us, continue to direct us, continue to point us to you. Don't let us fall down that path, Lord, but continue to show us the ways which we should go. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.